If we can go to the next slide, thanks, Christian. Uh, remember, was this word out of Luke, um, Deuteronomy 24, verse 22, where God is, um, through Moses, writing out this whole um, sort of way of life that the people of God should live into as they went into the promised land. And so Moses is, is helping to articulate all this, write this down. He's saying, this is the way it's going to be. This is the law of God. And, and in, um, in uh, Deuteronomy 24, God does this amazing thing. It's like when you get into the land and you, you find your place and you get yourself established and you, you're growing crops and you're harvesting, make sure that you don't go over the harvest twice Make sure you leave all the gleanings that you've missed. Leave them for the, for the wanderer, for the person that doesn't have any provision in their life. Leave it for the widows and the, and, and, um, uh, the poor. Make, and then he talks about when you've got your vineyards and you're harvesting the grapes and all of that. Make sure you don't go over it twice and pick up all the stuff that you've missed. But make sure you leave all of, all of that stuff behind so that you've had your fill and that the poor and the wanderer and the widow can have their fill as well. Because that's the justice of God. That the justice of God would be that the poor and the wanderer, the homeless and the, the widows would have provision. And, and it's all, God's, God's trying to, through Moses, um, build these people that would live a different story than the story that the world then was living and even our world is living right now. And so last week we looked at the fact that, you know, in, in Exodus when they were coming out from underneath Egypt's rule and reign and powers, all of the demonic powers and infrastructure and social economies and oppressions and tiers of living, all of the powers that were associated with that, keeping people in bondage, and all of the associated anxieties that people were living with, with regards to their material means and, and with regards to the financial provisions into their life, all of that anxiety, God liberates them and sets them free. And he brings them out from underneath all of that. And he conquers all of the then known gods. And if you read back through the Exodus account, there's like 10 major gods. Our God or Yahweh defeats and breaks the powers of. And so God's love, we, we talked about this last week, when it comes to this whole area of um, material possession and need, God has always been on about bringing people into having his love, his power, his deliverance, and his authority authoring how we live that, that life, how we live with regards to our provisions, how we live with regards to our finances, the decisions we make, and, and how we do that. And the reason why uh, Moses... In, Luke, in Deuteronomy 24 there said, remember, he uses this word, remember, because we are a forgetful people. And if you read the story, it wasn't too long after Moses said, remember this, that all of a sudden they get into the land and, and things go pear-shaped because they forget. And they start hoarding and, and borrowing and putting you know, leans over each other's lives. But, but one of the amazing, crazy things is God also puts in place is this thing called Jubilee. Jubilee, where every 50 years, 
what would happen was everyone that's acquired lands and amassed fortunes and taken over other properties, every 50 years, what God would say was like, okay, let's keep this on about my heart because we forget. So here's the remember moment. Everything starts again. The economy gets restarted, and he calls it Jubilee. Everyone gets their land back. Everyone goes back to where they started with, which originally, originally, they go back to everything they started with, which was originally when, when, when uh, God called them out, he said, look, every day I'm going to give you what you need. Now, for some people, they're going to need a lot. So let them take a lot, and you know the 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 manor and the and and, all, and the and the quail, you know all of that. Every day God would provide for them, and but some people are going to need a lot because they've got a big family. So let them take a lot, but in their taking a lot, they're not taking too much. They just take what they need, and God says, "Well, on the next day there'll be more for you." And for those that need a little, just take a little. Because you don't need more than a little, and your needs will be met, and the next day, God says, I'll provide what you need. And so, you'd think, you know, after being delivered from underneath all of the economic oppression and all of the superstructures of the demonic powers of Egypt, and getting set free by God who's manifesting himself as a fire by night and cloud by day, so visually, right there in the grill of the people of God, you'd think that they would get it. But it wasn't too long before the taking too much all of a sudden started to smell like maggots. Because God said, just take what you need for today. Don't take what you need for tomorrow because I'll, I'll provide for you tomorrow. Remember, I'm the God who set you free. I'm the God who's revealed his generosity and your love, his love to you. I'm the God who's heard your call for help. I'm the God who's heard you're living under economic oppression. I'm the God who's heard you wanting to be set free from the demons of Egypt. I am that God. I've heard your call. I have moved. I have delivered you. I have set you free. So just take what you need and I'll back my act and give you what you need tomorrow when you wake up tomorrow. But of course... The anxieties that, that the people of God were used to living with continued to play a, you know, a tape in their mind. Can I really trust God? Will he really come through? Maybe I can't. Therefore, let me just shuffle a little bit extra away. But the problem was in taking the extra, not only did it go bad and stink and become like maggots, what in the taking of the extra was actually an act of injustice. Because you were taking away from the provision that was given for the other. And so God was like, okay, you come into the land. You think they get it. They don't get it. And so he says, well, every 50 years, let's, let's start the economy again. Could you imagine trying to do that right now? Could you imagine trying to do that in our context right now? That, that would just like be a major upheaval. <laughs> that, that would just see all sorts of crazy go on. But anyway, the point of all of that was to say, don't forget. Don't forget because we do. God's love rescues us. God's love provides for us. And, he, and not only 
does he do this for you because he loves you? He does this for you and he does this for us because he loves you and he loves us at the same time. It's not you to the exclusion of us and it's not us to the exclusion of you. It's you and us together. God's trying to write a different story so that we might actually have an awareness of each other's needs and so be able to reflect the the heart and the character of God, which is to be generous and provide. That's why we take time and we hear people's stories. You know, in your life, you hear someone's story and it's like, I want to give. I just want to somehow take from what I have and give toward that. God's made us to be these kinds of people. And not only is he for you and for us, he is also for the poor, for the widow the and the wanderer. God is interested in looking after all of our needs. He has demonstrated that in the Old Testament. And if we jump the long arc and we come to Jesus and the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament, we see the completeness of the provision of God's love for every human being in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Not only in his atoning life, death and sacrifice and resurrection, but also in the proclamation of his, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that the ministry of the kingdom is setting people free, delivering people of demonic oppression, healing broken bodies, and, um, and, and speaking good news. God is interested in this whole area of generosity. And last week, if we jump to the next slide, Christian, last week we remember we, we, we touched on these fears. Nicole and I, because of the work that we do with, you know, spending a lot of time with pastors all around the country and overseas as well, one of the recurring conversations in, in our moment, in our time, in our context, is pastors and teachers are fearful of talking about finances in church for a few reasons. And we named them last week. The first one was perception. It's very easy to be perceived as, oh, you're just another one of those churches, mega churches, all you do is preach prosperity and all you do is want our money. And then you go and take, you know, airplane flights all over the place in nice private jets. That's not, that is a legitimate fear that pastors have right now and teachers in the body of Christ have right now all over the place. They don't want to be tarred with the same brush Oh, that, that others have been using right now. Now, let me just say this up front and up clear. Love every part of the body of Christ. We're, we've got our dirty laundry too, you know. We've got our dirty laundry as well. We're not trying to hide or walk, you know, uh, that sort of stuff. No, but we don't want to um, somehow be thought of and perceived. And there's a legitimate fear to that. And so rather than talk about it, pastors and teachers, are, I'll just not talk about it. The other one is that it's a really awkward thing if you're in our position, like Nicole's in my position. Here we are. We are actually called to pastor and lead a a local church, a a whole movement of churches in the country, and then partnering to do so internationally as well. It's really awkward for us um, because of the position that we're in. Not only have we been asked to call, by God to call and lead and facilitate and have these conversations, the people we're having these conversations with is the actual entity that pays our wage. 
That's a little awkward sometimes. That's a little awkward. And the last thing we would ever want to do is be perceived as you're just bending the arm so you can get a, you know, you can start flying business class. Oh, wow, that would be all right. But no, (laughs) the last thing we would want to do is be perceived as bending anyone's arm. But it's just an awkward place that we find ourselves in. And so we acknowledge that fear before God and, and we acknowledge that fear to, each, to ourselves and to you as well. Please, please try and hear us with grace as we teach into this. this is, we're not interested in building our own well-being and kingdom. We're not here for that. If we were on about that, we would have split years ago, let me tell you. But there's also the other legitimate fear that's in play, which is demonic powers that are opposed to the good news of the kingdom of God going forward and local churches flourishing and being planted all over this nation. And those demonic powers and structures are squeezing and working their way to try and place anxieties back into the hearts of people that says, there's not enough. You can't trust God. Don't give him anything. These powers are at play. John Wesley, next slide, thanks, Christian. John Wesley, we we read this together last week. He had this amazing capacity to realise that his life was intricately involved, not only with God and him personally and the resources that he had, but for his family and for uh, the people of his community, the hungry, the naked, the stranger, the widow and the fatherless, and to the ends of the world. John lived with this sense of, John Wesley lived with this sense of, my, what I do right here has this rippling effect, not just here and not just to my immediate family or to the needy of my community, but to the very ends of the earth. There is a ripple effect of how he lived his life. And there's a ripple effect about every choice that we make. Every decision that we choose. Now, now I'm, I'm making, just labouring this point a little bit because we are in a time here in Australia, in our country, at this time where the fat in most people's lives in terms of economic capacity, the fat has been trimmed. And perhaps now more than perhaps has been for quite a while, people are actually having to now with focus and intention revisit their priorities when it comes to their economic circumstances. Now, I'm not not saying that's everyone's story, but there is a great load of Australians that are now in that place. The cost of living is rising. The cost of power is going crazy. Interest rates are rising and mortgages and so forth are, are, you know, kicking on. Just like the mortgage here has, at this church, has increased. I'll give you the numbers in a couple of weeks' time. But it's increased 140% our mortgage payment in the last 12 months. 140%. (laughs) But the good news is we're not living under the authorship of 140%, are we? We're living under the authorship of our generous God who has said, follow me this way, who knows what our need is. So... I wanted to just labour this a little bit this morning because it is time for many of us in this room to reconsider how we use our resources. Remember Luke chapter 3, if we can go to the next uh, slide, thanks Christian. I'm just going to read there, Luke chapter 3. Again, this is um, Jesus is about to break out on the scene here. John the Baptist, the forerunners, fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. 
and and he's sort of proclaiming, get ready, people, get ready, get ready, make a way. God is about to come, the promised one, the anointed one, the one that Isaiah prophesied about, the one that God said would um, fulfill the generosity of the promise of Abraham to the whole world is about to break in on the scene. And it's interesting, the themes, the first themes that come through with that proclamation of get ready because God's about to turn up and he's about to turn everything over and make it all new. And here's the themes. The word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the country and around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words uh, of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooths. And all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowd, John said to the crowd who were coming out to be baptized by him, "You brood of vipers! Gotta love John, eh? Um, you brood of vipers! Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath?" And he says, "This. Hang on to this one. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, as some sort of a justification. For I tell you that even the stone, out of the stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The big question, what should we do, they say to John. John answers, here it is, okay, so here it is. God's about to break in on the scene. The fulfillment of Israel's Messiah is about to manifest in the earth and establish everything and make everything new. What should we do? What would you do? What would you do? What would I do if John was in front of us saying, hey, Jesus, King Jesus is about to bust a move. Get ready. What would you and I do? That's their question. What should we do? (laughs) Don't want to do a dumb thing. Just tell me what I should do. (laughs) And here's the theme. John answers, anyone who has two shirts should share it with one who has none. And anyone who has food should should do the same. Bang. Where Where is John going after? He's going after people's stuff. The first thing with the proclamation of the arrival of the king coming in the kingdom, is he is going to deal with people's stuff. What should we do? Even the tax collectors came out to be baptized. (laughs) Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Because they were on the pinch. (laughs) They were on the, yeah, you've got to pay that, but, you know, if you want to keep going, you need to give me a little bit over here as well. Otherwise, I'll shut you down. So they're on the pinch. They're abusing their power. They're, they're taking their position in community and society, not only because they had to give to Rome, but because they were like, well, I'll take the power that Rome's given me and I'll put it over you as well and take a little bit on the side. What should we do? Don't, do not collect any more than you are required to. Again, he's going after the stuff. The money handlers, he wants, he wants to deal with them too. And then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? 
people who have authorised power and authority to exercise over others to keep things in place. He says to them, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. The reason why he's saying that is because they are extorting money and they are accusing people falsely. And then he says, be content with your pay. Now, there's a word in season for this nation. Be content with your pay. Now, I'm not saying I'm living in that space all the time myself. I'm quite often knocking on Father's door and saying, Lord, please help. We need resource, Lord, to do what you've asked us to do. But be content with your pay. Okay, I got paid this week. And is my God the same God that delivered all of his people from Egypt, the one who said, don't worry, I'll look after you tomorrow, I'll provide for you tomorrow as well? Can I literally trust that God? The other unique thing about the space that Nick and I live in is that we have, for the last 30-something years, been in local church ministries in different places, and, and, and the, the only way that the organisation that can pay us, that is, the local church can pay us, is if God talks to people and people do what God says. Then we get paid. It's called a life of faith. It's called a life of faith in God. It's called a life of living, trusting that he truly is who he says he will be. And you know what the miracle of that is? Here we are, 32 years later, and we still get our weekly pay. Praise God, he is a good God. He is a wonderful, loving father. God talks to people, and people listen. It's amazing. So the big question is, let's, uh, let's jump on to the next one. Thanks, mate. The big question is, what should we do? P- keep, um, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's the big question, his answer to the big question. If John is right, and Luke's recorded it, that Jesus is God come as human, God, King of heaven and earth, what is the effect? Well, this word trans, uh, repentance in the Greek is this word called metanoia, which re- really means a I have turned myself around. This way, I've been walking this way. I have received new information. And as a result of that information, it's transforming in here and forming my life to the point where now I'm no longer walking that way. The impact of that information is now turning me to walk in another direction. That is the word repentance. So basically, um, you know, John is uh, saying to anyone that's got ears to hear and a heart to listen, he's saying, if, God, if Jesus is really king, if Jesus is really king, and if you have welcomed that here intellectually, it will transform you as well and form you emotionally and spiritually, and it will change the way you walk, especially in regards to your stuff. Because that produced fruit in keeping with repentance is in the context of the kingdom of God is coming and the great contest, you think it's for you, it's actually he's going after your stuff. Because he knows when he has your stuff, he has you. Why? Because we forget to remember. How... Not only is God after the 
monetary stuff, but what transformation should take place in my life? How should it look different? Do, 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 does, does my patience with people grow? The, the tone in which I engage in conversations with people who I sometimes look at and honestly go, I don't have time for you. Does the, do I allow that tone to change me, that work to change my tone? How I pray, how I worship, how I serve, how I steward my resources and relationships that I've been given. If Jesus is the God King who has come and is bringing his kingdom and I've welcomed him to be Lord, then my mind, my heart and my actions will ultimately go from living this way to being transformed to becoming the image bearer that God has designed me to be, the image bearer of God, bringing with me all of the worship and praises of my life back unto God and then through me, his love back into the world. Repentance. How well do you think we're doing now with the resources God's given us? How do you think you're doing with the resources God's given us, given you? See, here's the big contest. That's the big contest. It's who's serving who. And 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 Jesus a little bit further on in, in Luke chapter um, Luke chapter twelve, he goes after this. He says basically well, in, in Luke 6, he goes on and he says, in Luke 6, 24, he says, you can't do it, people. You can't serve God and money or mammon. That word mammon, wealth, riches, property, all your stuff. This is it. Jesus is saying you can't serve God and all your material possession. Who's serving who or what will you serve? The choice is on you. Jesus has this big competition. He has this conquest that's taking place for the lordship of your stuff. I remember when Jesus crashed into my life with with love and freedom and deliverance and setting me free as a 19-year-old man. And he gave me such a heart and a vision for his life. And, he, and in that moment of conversation and honest transformation with Jesus, as he was getting a good grip on my life, he said, Kirk, I want all of you. And I had the crazy attitude to be able to say, well, righto, but I need to have all of you. And I've been on an adventure ever since. <laughs> coming alive into who God has truly saved me to be as one of his creations. See, if God is going to have his way, it's going to be all in, all the time. And in Luke 12, a little bit further on, Jesus also goes after the idea of having an abundant harvest and then barn building. Now, Jesus is not going on here about making provisions for your family, for your retirement, or for your um, rainy day savings. He's not, he's not having a crack at that. What he's having a crack at is the hot, and all your, your superannuation, he's not having a crack at that. What he's having a go at is the heart behind all of that. He's digging deeper. 
And in Luke 12, he, 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 he's, he's basically saying to them, be aware, be careful. Don't build barns. Be cautious about this. It's about knowing where enough is enough and you're moving into the tipping point of greed becoming king. There's, and that's going to be a nuanced conversation that each and every one of us have to have with Jesus. So it's not this law that says it all looks the same for everyone. No, it's this relationship of grace where God says, hey, I have everything you need. I'm going to look after you and, and just be careful because there will come tipping points in your life where you'll stop trusting in me and you'll start building barns. He actually says it in uh, verse 15 of Luke 12. He says, watch out and be on your guard against this. Why? Why is he saying that to his people? Because that's in play. And if we don't think it is, I once I heard someone this week teaching saying, then you're asleep at the wheel. Greed is always in play. It's this tipping point, this nuanced place and space of Jesus, I have all I need. I, and I thank you for that. You've been so good as to provide. Um, and I can trust you for, for tomorrow. And what do you want me to do now with, with this? Can we trust him? Life doesn't consist, Jesus says, in the abundance of possession. So why do we live in our day and age where everything is geared to, all energy is spent on, all envisioning in our press and TV and social media channels is all about the accumulation, the abundance of stuff and material gain. If life is not found there, why are we pursuing it? If Jesus is the God King, Come bringing good news for us. What's the good news into a culture that is spending all its time thinking that life is found in all that stuff? And how are we subtly giving ourselves to that? Where did it all get so messed up? How did we get so caught up in it? Why do we keep on living like this? To have a relationship with Jesus as king and and, and for him to... Prov- to provide for us is such a wonderful and gracious thing for God to do. We all have need, but be careful when your need becomes greed. Lastly, I want to talk about the new economy because everyone's talking about the new economy, aren't they? The new economy. It's in the press every day. Not this new economy, but they're always talking about the new economy. So I just thought I'd grab their tag. The new economy. So Jesus teaches and calls people to a radical way of living called kingdom generosity. And Jesus teaches and calls, he calls firstly to the people of God, Israel, and he calls them up up from all of the standards of the law. They're all living in the law. And if you look back in the law, that's where you get the whole idea of tithing. 10%, bringing 10% uh, 
um, of your harvest, of your crops, of your provisions, and offering it into the temple work of uh, the story of God into the community. And Jesus comes along and he starts to speak into that, but he calls people up from the stewardship of tithing into a new way of living called generosity, which I believe supersedes tithing. Let me just say that again. I believe that Jesus, as the fulfillment of the law of God and all of its requirements, has fully taken, he's not saying don't give, and be gen- he's calling people out of law-based, principled living. And he's calling them into radical relationship with the living God that looks like generosity. In other words, in the Old Testament, um, God would say, um, do not murder. Jesus takes that in his Sermon on the Mount, and he takes it to another level. He doesn't lower the bar, he lifts the bar. He's saying, don't even think it. If you want to be a kingdom person, don't even let that thought run through your head. Don't, in the Old Testament, do not covet. Jesus is like, don't even think about coveting. He lifts, he lifts it to a whole other place and space. It's no longer law. It's the dynamic power of God alive in people, bringing them into who they should truly be as God-ordained creations made to bring a different story into the world. And it's one of generosity. Uh, originally, it started with Abraham. Tithing started with Abraham, by the way. It was Abraham, and, and, and what was accredited to Abraham as righteousness was his love for God, his faith in God. It was not a fulfillment of a law. He just wanted out of his response to God's goodness toward his life was, here, I need to give something away. Here, take this. And he gave 10% away to a priest. And it was that action that then Moses codified and put in as a law so that the people would live according to that law because that's what they wanted. No, God, we don't want to come up and meet you at the mountain. We're going to send up all of the elders. And, and actually, we're not even, the elders, we're not even going. We're sending Moses up because we don't actually want to be that close to you. And God says, all right, well, if you don't want to be that close to me, here. The way we can be in proximity with each other is through a law, a law-based relationship. You do this, I'll do that. You don't do this. You don't do that. But then Jesus, so Jesus comes along and fulfills all of the expectation of the law. And now he births a new way of living, especially when it comes to resources. Jesus challenges in Luke 11 the internal world of all of those who were saying, hey, we're on about the kingdom and we're pursuing God and his king uh, and his kingdom in the earth. In Luke 11, it reads like this from verse 39. The Lord said to them, now then, you Pharisees, i.e. people who are serious about pursuing God and bringing his kingdom, clean the outside of the cup and the dish. You clean the, ups- you clean the-, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, 
So he's going after the internal, broken, wicked, selfish greed of these people who externally were saying, oh, we're, we're good, we're with God. He says, but now as for what is on the inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Hello? This is the big contest that Jesus is dealing with for all of us. Woe to you, Pharisees, because he says you give a tenth of your mint, you tithe your, your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect the justice and the love of God. What was the justice and the love of God? Make sure that you don't take all the gleanings. Make sure that you leave for the poor and the wanderer and the widow. Make sure that the homeless can always find a meal at your place. That's the justice of God coming into the earth. You neglect that, but you're busy saying, I can tick the box. I gave my tenth. Jesus is out to destroy that and break the power of that and release people into the justness of God where there is generosity and provision for everyone. And just take what you need. Be content with your pay. Always, always make sure that there's, there's room at the table. There's a, there's, make pro- plan for providing for those who are going to come along the way and say, I need a bit of help. Kingdom people think and plan and act and relate in the power of the Spirit like that. Wow, Jesus is into this. He says, you give a tenth and you forget justice. He's not saying scrap the tenth and do justice. He's saying be generous as a sign of the justice of God. Tithing was originally and is an invitation to remember God. But know this, we who are in Christ Jesus have been, as Paul would say, have been freed from the law. Now I'm going to let you off the hook here. Because I think the Bible does, and I think Jesus does, and I think the apostles do in their teachings. I'm going to let you off the hook. You don't. Let me just say it quietly. You don't have to tithe anymore. You don't have to tithe anymore. But what I do want to invite you into is the good news of the generosity of God's love for your life that will so radically transform you. You will be a person of change with regard to this area in your life and you will be transformed and you will come alive as a steward of the resources that God has placed in your care for his glory and your joy and the well-being of others. That's what I'm inviting you to. That's what I think Jesus is inviting us to. That's what I think the scriptures are calling us to. As we finish up this morning, oh, sorry, last one, thanks, Thanks, uh, Christian. Let me just finish by reading this scripture over you again. Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 22. When you're harvesting your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord God may bless you in all the works of your hands. And when you beat the olives from your trees, and do not go over the branch a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest your grapes in your vineyard, don't go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember 
that you were slaves in Egypt. This is what I command you to do. This is why I command you to do it. Remember, we were once caught, stuck, oppressed, living under demonic infrastructure and even the wisdom of this world. But God stepped in. And for some of you today, God is stepping into your life right now, whether you're one of the young fellas in this room or the most senior people in this room. God is breaking in with his love and his power and his good news kingdom for your life. He has always been, he has continued to be and faithfully demonstrated himself time and time again through every season and through every age, through every part of the church and history that's been and he will, to, and he will continue to do so until he comes in all his fullness and everything is fully made new. He cares for you and for me. You are his good idea. That was a prophetic word that got read over us this morning as Simone spoke that scripture over us at the end of worship there. God, that that we might in the goodness of God be able to comprehend, because if we comprehend this, it means repentance. It means I can see clearly now and I am going to allow that to minister to my life and on the inside of me. And as, as God does that on the inside of me, the anxiety and the concern and the power structures that are there are going to be displaced and come down. And my love for Jesus and the poor will be birthed in a radical new way. In a radical new way. Where no longer are the poor to be tolerated in our lives but they are to be loved because God loves me and God loves you and God loves us. Wow, spiky stuff, hey, Jesus. Remember, last slide, let's just recap that again. Remember, he's rescuing love from all anxiety and powers. His love and, power, his love and his power provides for you, for us, for the poor, the widow and the wanderer. Next one, thanks, Christian. What shall we do? What will you do? What shall we do? That was the question they asked. That's the question I'm asking. What do we do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, the Bible. I thank you that Luke was there that, you know, in that season to be able to catch this stuff and write it down as a, a historical account of when when you came in your fullness as, as the Son of God in flesh. Just thank you for the scriptures, Lord. And Lord, as we open them up and we read them and we dig into them just a bit and kind of just scratch the surface and dip our toe, it's like, God, this thing has got some teeth to it. I can feel it coming over my life and change, wanting to change me and somehow liberate me. So I'm praying today by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would come now and you would liberate us into the freedom that you have won for us. And in the name of King Jesus, I speak to every demonic infrastructure that is over you, over me, over us and our region. We just say, in the name of Jesus, come down now. Come down. We take the plug out and we disempower you as we allow the spirit now to make a change in us as we empower in that moment the work of Jesus in us and through us.
where there is plenty. All that we need. Come, Holy Spirit. Minister to us today. I know there's a whole bunch of anxiety in this room, Lord. This is the this is the button that we all wrestle with, Lord. Come, 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 come. Speak your reassuring word, Lord, that you're inviting us into a greater life of freedom. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Some of you in the room right now, there's... I just had this sense that this morning as as I'd be teaching that the Lord really does want to minister his love and his reassurance to anyone who is at all anxious as you sit and listen to this stuff. Or you find yourself in a circumstance right now where your economic circumstances and there is anxiety all around it. I really believe God wants to minister his love and reassurance to you today. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that in Jesus you bring us into this whole new way of living of the kingdom. And with that, there's an economy that's truly born in your heart. And so I pray, Lord, that over this next coming week in particular, the conversations that you're having with each and every one of us would just ring true, break through, and birth life for us, Lord. I pray your blessing, Lord, your faithfulness and your blessing over each and every one of us in the name of Jesus to know that you are good, that you love, and that you provide. And that as, Lord, we um, partner with you in your character and your ways, we too come alive and enter into the joy of generous living and giving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.